You're listening to the Real Platform podcast sponsored by Ampliance and Clavio. Uh, today, you're listening to myself, James Gerd, and my magical co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you doing, sir? Getting there. I've, um, I've got COVID, but um, yeah, it's finally got me. But aside from that, uh, all good. Yeah. How are you feeling? You, you sound you sound good. Yeah, pretty good overall. I think uh, initially um, I had like the whole cloudy brain thing, but yeah, mostly good. I think I've just got cabin fever now because I, I don't usually spend too much time at home and I've been stuck here for a week. But, yeah, yeah that, that, that kind of brain thing, I have that every day. So I can't, I can't pin that on I haven't had COVID before. It's just a natural, natural ability. Um, uh, welcome to our, our um, any new listeners. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time on the podcast, we hope you enjoy it. And thanks, as always, to all our regular listeners from tuning back in. We hope you find this episode interesting as well. Uh, if you want to get episode alerts, do subscribe. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, etc., to give us a warm glow on a Friday. And um, yeah, just just to throw something completely different in this week, I heard a really really good joke last night. I thought I'd share this. So, Paul, why can't you trust atoms? Why? They make up everything. <laughs> There's a like geeky scientific uh, techie joke to start the day. Um, right. So let's move on to uh, to the topic for today. So we are talking about de-risk and e-commerce technology projects, which is, is such an important part of technology selection, technology implementation, whether that's replatforming e-commerce platforms or you know any other systems you're doing. So what we're going to cover is why you need to accept risk, sensible approach to risk mitigation, and common e-commerce project risks and how to de-risk them. Um, does that is that a fair enough setup for what we're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's um, an important topic. Like so many people at the minute seem to be trying to kind of justify replatforming projects and plan for replatforming projects. I think it's um, yeah, a really good one. Cool. So I'm going to start by saying about why you need to accept risk. And then I'm going to ask you the simple question of how do you get your clients to understand that they need to accept risk? So so number one is all projects with people and technology have risk. Um, people, people, um, uh, technology can go wrong. People can make bad decisions. People can get ill. There's all sorts of things that can turn what was a smooth process into a slightly bumpy one. And there's foreseen and unforeseen. So a good example a foreseen is a business has decided to implement a new ERP, and that coincides with an e-commerce um, development timeframe. That adds risk to, to, to the project because of the interdependencies. Unforeseen is your uh, project manager suddenly hands in their notice midway through the project, and all of a sudden those processes and that control that you've, you've relied on is suddenly not there, and you've got to, to manage around it. If you don't do risk management and mitigation, you have to then react on the fly, which can add more stress into the project. So, but what what are your tips? How do you how do you communicate with clients? How do you get them to buy into to start the risk is an, a, an element of the project? Yeah, so I think it's a really important phase, and I think you've added a couple of points here that I think are good, which is you know build the risk register and evaluation process and create like kind of escalation paths. I think it's probably an area you're a lot stronger in than I am. Um, I tend to be a bit more scrappy, um, definitely uh, has downsides on this side but um i think really from my perspective i think clarity is everything um you know documentation is everything and i think just in terms of like resourcing a replatforming project i think where you can if you can kind of decouple scopes of work um, and make sure you've got specialists that have got enough time to deliver i think that's always a good one but then equally we were talking earlier about the benefits of having less kind of people to manage so yeah i guess that goes either way but from my perspective i think that definitely helped just kind of making sure essentially making sure you've got the right team um to deliver the really high risk areas which we'll go on to 
Yeah, I, I think I, I find this as well. I, I always start a project by the kickoff workshop, having risk as a key uh, discussion point and talking about these are the most common risks. You know, have you identified risks yet? Have you thought about how you mitigate any risk and getting people to, to have that as a conversation and it becomes a stream within the project? And you're right, risk registers sounds dull, is is dull, but so important. It doesn't matter. It can be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet, an Excel raid log, but just have risks documented and numbered and identified and have owners and follow up on it. The most important thing is a process because we talked about this before we went on air. Is You've seen this before where... Risks are nailed down and everyone says, hey, look, we've done a great job. We've done our risk register. Six months later, they've forgotten about it. And there was no plan in place to, to, to address one of those key risks. Or the plan was defined, but nobody followed up on it. Um, you know, Or a risk register was created, but no one gave it to the project manager. So really, really important. And then the, the bit that's linked into that, which is essential, is escalation paths. You might have a risk that you're trying to, to, to mitigate and, and you know, uh, action some tasks around, but there are blockers elsewhere in the business and people aren't on board or aren't supportive or don't think it's a priority. There's got to be a way to escalate up to get that uh, uh, resolved at a project board level, even if you're a small business and your project board is you plus one other. It's just having somebody at the senior level of decision-making who can unpick um, blockages that could end up derailing the project later on. Um, and then I think the other thing is, I, I always advise people is be sensible. You might identify eight risks and you might think, we can't mitigate all of these. So which risks are you willing to live with um, and which you can't? A good example of where you can't is if you currently have processes that aren't fit for purpose around things like GDPR, you need to be compliant because the risk of not being compliant is not only like potential brand damage or frustrated customers, but it's also big fines. So you've got to you've got to nail down the risks that you can't mess around with, and the risks where you can go. Do you know what we've we've understood it? We know what the impact might be, but it's minimal. We accept it. We're not going to try and spend a load of resource on fixing it. So with that in mind, let's let's dive into some common e-commerce risks and how we mitigate them. So the first one I chucked down. So I'm interested in your thoughts, boys. Is when you've got to leave an existing agency development partner what do you do about when do you tell them do you tell them do you not tell them and this comes up every project yeah i agree i think this is a massive one and a really good one from you i think the for me you're right it does come up i think if you can um i think you should tell them as early as possible i think you should you know think about your rationale think about how you're communicating it try and justify it as much as possible try and be as good to the existing body as possible you know, make sure you know if you're allocating tasks to them in whilst you're going through the build you know you're not kind of um questioning every estimate etc 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 so just try and make it a good exit but from my perspective i think i've seen people not fail but definitely make things harder by getting things like order data and customer data really late in the project they don't want to you know alert the agency or you know not really understanding the way certain modules have been built because again they just don't want to raise any alarm bells and i think the earlier you tell the agency um the more likely it is that they'll cooperate and the more you know valuable context you can get from the existing agency like we just did a project um, where actually the client was getting really worried about telling the agency and they told them, I don't know, maybe two months before we ended up launching. And they were actually really valuable when it came to that final two months. Like they were helping a lot, you know, even little things like they controlled the DNS um, and just being able to get as much kind of context around that side early as possible um, was really valuable. And 
yeah, I think I've rarely seen it go wrong when you tell an agency. I think the agency can be frustrated. I think, you know, they might, you know, their estimates might be a bit more like, I don't know, realistic or potentially um, higher than usual. Um, but I think that nine times out of 10, it benefits, it does benefit to tell the agency out yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the, the the highest risk of not telling is exactly that. That right, they've stitched us up. We're deprioritising. You're not getting the resource. Uh, and then when people say, "Well, we right, we need to get all of our content migrated out. We need all of our data." And then saying, "Well, either it's it's extortionate, or we can't guarantee we can get it to you in time because we don't have the resource because um, you haven't asked us for it." Exactly. I think transparency. It's critical, and it's also about it's about maintaining a good reputation in the, in the market. And it's really important for agencies and clients alike is it's not be viewed as a client who is duplicitous with agencies and treats them bad because people talk. It does get around. It can impact you in the future in, in selections. My one caveat, I've been seeing this in one project, is where the existing relationship was so toxic, um, and literally at daggers the whole time where the client perceived the risk of, of telling far higher than the risk of not telling because it enabled them in the background because they had lots of systems access to do a lot of the extraction work and preparation work to de-risk the final telling to the agency and they stuck to the contractual terms of notice and minimised the, the period of, of volatility. So I think there's always caveats, but I agree with you, is if you have a, if you have a at least halfway decent relationship with your existing agency out of out of decency to them, um, being transparent and honest pays. Um, what's the next one? So you you um, you flagged up um, team and capacity as a risk. Yeah, so I think um, in terms of de-risking a project, the reason I, I wrote this one down, so I think in terms of de-risking a project, the best thing you can do is bring more people in typically because I think, you, again, eight times out of ten, it'll be the client that delays the project or maybe seven times out of ten. Um, but I think, and usually that's because there's certain bottlenecks um, in the business that might own integrations or own, you know, product data or whatever else. And I think if you can bring in additional resource and, in, you know, increase certain people's capacity. It might be that you bring in resource to handle the day-to-day -day or, you know, trading or whatever else. But I think the more you free people up that are important to the project and the more specialists you bring in that have time available, um, the less risk there is in a project. And I think that especially applies also to the discovery as well, because quite often discoveries are rushed due to people not having time. Um, yeah, and ultimately, the more you free up time from key people, um, the less risk there is of a project failing or being late. Yeah, I think this is such an important point is if people haven't gone through this before, they, they can really easily underestimate how much time it will take. It feels quite light at the start because, well, we've got a development agency doing this, but then you start getting into the change management and into your content, into your UAT, and you realise how much time is needed to deliver into the development queue. So I think I think that's essential. And it's, it's having conversations at the right level with senior management who own the team's uh, kind of um, resourcing to be able to say you need to allocate and be realistic with your team so that they are dedicated on this x amount per week and you need to ramp it up in these periods yeah definitely which links on to the one of the next points which is um, project management because poor poorly managed projects descend into chaos um, and it's either because lack of project management resources or lack of competencies at some of the core skills 
So a couple, I'll pull out a couple, and I'm interested to hear your view on this. So the reality is that that when you look at project races, you know the roles, accountability, etc., there has to be project management, and that's not just technical managing the development teams, but it's also managing business stakeholders. So they're coordinating and they know what they've got to deliver and when, so that development queues don't get blocked and stopped, and you suddenly end up well, you need an extra two or three sprints to get stuff done. Smaller teams don't have a lot of stakeholders, and often they don't have a pro. I very rarely have a project manager in the house, but it means trying to look at whether there is somebody within the existing team who has got you know basic organisation skills who can coordinate and work effectively. Are they good at talking across teams, getting people on board, getting them to do stuff, and it's allocating some of their time. In larger teams, it's thinking about well, do you know what? It's going to be very hard for one person who's already doing their day-to-day to then do this across multiple stakeholders and teams. Let's look at a, a contractor, project manager, who's had experience of e-commerce migration, so you can take that pain away. For businesses with lots of independent, pro- inter- independent interdependent projects where there's you know, dependencies between e-commerce, you know, it might be ERP, CRM, then people would look at recruiting a dedicated internal PM because there's efficiencies of them working across those projects in the business and being the interface to the stakeholders and to external agencies. So I, I think I think it's too often people don't think about the project management. They just say, hey, look, we'll chuck these people into the project. We've got an agency. And then it starts to come unglued later on when people realise they don't have the time to get stuff done and, and the, the project is going further and further off track. Yeah, I think um, for me, it's just making sure you, in addition to the obvious, like, you know, task management, timeline management, I think it's about uh, having given someone enough time to work with all the stakeholders and understand, um, I guess, uh, progress, capacity, being able to react to newness, because often, you know, as you're going through a project, that suddenly there'll be a new requirement or, you know, something that has been planned isn't fit for purpose or whatever else. Um, yeah, and basically just being able to build that in, you know, constantly, yeah, adapting timeline, adapting scope, adapting budget. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's a really important one. Yeah, I, I, I typically, unless it's a really, really small business with a, a very simple project where you can get away with, with doing project management at basic level within the team and relying on the technical PM in the agency to do the, the structured project plan, I always advise businesses to get um, a PM allocated even if it's a contractor for, for like six months, because yeah. it, it, it gives the business team, I know it's a cost, but you've got to think about the benefit. The, the The risk of not having project management is the project descends into chaos. You get inefficiency. Information is not ready for when the developers need it. You end up pushing the timeframes out. Um, you might not get the right information. Things get built that aren't to spec. Then you have to change it. You end up with additional sprints and additional costs. So often you can offset a lot of the cost of the project manager um in this way and that becomes a business case but it takes the it takes the stress away from the the project owners and yeah. the leading stakeholders they're not having to worry about oh my god what have i got to do when when have i got to provide this they're just being asked you've got three three tasks i'm managing it for you you just give me this information by this date and i think it just it helps de-stress internal teams I think what you just said there is a really important one as well that I that people never talk about is the de-stressing of people is really important because the amount of times I've seen big re-platforms 
be completed and then the team is depleted essentially so you know people have gone through frustrations gone through stress and then yeah. moved on afterwards and sometimes it's because they've gone through a project etc but i do think that the de-stressing of key people within the business probably has a lot more value and i think the other thing with some of these roles is it might feel like a luxury and it might be like okay we can get it over the door anyway but i think the difference between getting something completed and something being completed to like the highest possible standard and not cutting corners around some of the like ancillary areas i think yeah. it can actually make a difference 100 percent. and this is all about business cases right you don't just chuck money at stuff without understanding the, the cost and benefit but i've seen it in another client at the moment and they are two months late now um and it's primarily down to complications in the erp but they don't have an internal project manager and it's one of the things we flagged right at the start is spend the money but the business didn't want to fair enough but you have to understand the implication and one of the reasons they're so far down the line is also content readiness which we'll come on to is it is suddenly realizing how much effort and one person is having to do all the project management all of the tasks um all of the content and it's just impossible for and the stress level to go up and up and up so yeah i i always think that well, actually, if you know that one of the reasons you're moving platform is to fix issues, get better technology, faster sites, which helps with your conversion and your attention to the, and you're going to be three three months late by not doing it, well, actually, yeah. what's the cost, the opportunity cost in terms of lost potential revenue over those three months? Well, yeah. that's your project manager. No, I agree. Completely agree. Um, so let's move on uh, to the next one, which I know you'll... you'll um, uh, have a lot to say on integrations especially like ERP yeah so I think I mean this is obviously one of the biggest ones uh, that causes issues throughout a project so you know one of the hardest ones to plan around um, you know obviously one of the biggest risks I think and also I think usually whenever I work on a project there's usually quite a big dependency on someone to fully understand the role of an ERP and fully document things um, I guess nowadays, and we were talking about this a bit earlier, I think I've probably had the best results for um, by trying to outsource as much as possible. I think if you, I feel like today's like middleware providers is a really good modern approach for integrations. You are essentially investing in one central place where all of your data is coming into you know there's it's easier to clean that data and then pass it on to other systems it reduces the overheads when you want to add in different systems um yeah i think there's a lot of value in that approach and then i think there's some really good providers that can layer on professional services to really take some of the pain away for a project and um, for me it's just taking yeah probably the most painful uh piece and particularly like when we go into a project and we and you know we take on more than we would like to first thing i'll try and do is give someone responsibility for that i yeah. just it makes a project cleaner yeah i agree um every every project i've worked on on a decent sized business where erp is a core integration point one of the first things i say is erp integration will be the the most likely thing that will delay your project and add cost and complexity do we have a solution specialist on the ERP side who is able to provide that integration expertise and make sure that that work stream is managed and be a conduit into the e-commerce development agency? Some e-commerce agencies are very good and have got lots of experience of ERP integrations. You know, they they have you know they've done the flows on, on you know leading platforms, whether it's Dynamics, um, Nav, whatever it might be. 
and that's great. Others haven't done so much. And we talked about this before about different ecosystems around different platforms where agencies have different levels of competency. So yeah, I think the middleware bit's an important point. I've seen a client using a middleware like Saltbox and and everything goes through that and they trust and they have a good relationship and therefore that integration spec work is done and the client is is reassured that, that they're going to make sure the data exchanges are working. Uh, and then I guess you've 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 said I mean in the Shopify space using integration specialists like Patchworks, um, there are specialist integrators like Telescopic who focus on on coming up with the right solutions for clients. So do you do you do you typically find that it's about using middleware or it's just about having a, an integration specialist or both together? I'm a massive fan of middleware because I think it's it's I think there's usually a huge opportunity of integration. So often. People might have like an API uh, integration or black files, whatever. Um, and there's a load of workarounds in place. And I think when you go down the middleware route, you have the ability to add in logic. So in the Shopify space in particular, we've um, found like managing a single source of inventory across multiple Shopify stores, you know, it makes it a lot easier. Um, things like pre-orders, yeah, various other things. And the other thing is, is like, I think when it comes to like BI and data warehousing, um, if you've got that kind of clean data uh, coming into that middleware platform, um, it makes it a lot easier to just pass it out. And, you know, yeah, it just makes the whole thing a lot cleaner. And I think the other thing is, is it just makes it more likely that people end up improving the integrations as well. Um, I feel like most people have got, you know, uh, additional levels of um, integration they want to add in. So it might be that they want to um, eventually use their integration as more for more level of like more advanced kind of PM or PLM. And I think that if if you've got that kind of piece of middleware in the middle, it just reduces like the amount of time that needs to go into that. And it just be, like with yeah. our clients, anyone that's got that there. Um, and I also think it's kind of, you know, they've got a best of best in class piece of technology that's, you know, maybe they're pushing the client as well. And, you know, they're constantly communicating the potential alternative approaches. I just think it's a better way to operate today. Yeah, agreed. And I guess one other bit of, of mitigating this risk is, is front loading in discovery phases, the integration stuff around stock, um, product data, customer data. Uh, and having the technical counterparts from ERP and e-commerce and you know whoever else in your business in the IT side to really map out those flows and processes and, and look at what you're trying to achieve and wherever possible using standard connectors and flows to, to minimize the amount of like uh, custom coding and custom API work. So I think that's really important. Leaving it too late in the discovery, you suddenly realize that, well, actually, you, you've put more pressure into the development phase now by not addressing some of the issues up front. Um, so the next one for me, in terms of common risk, is unrealistic um, uh, kind of requirements for launch and scope creep. So I see it's a lot where people won't have an MVP mentality. It's just constantly, we want this, we want this, or this will be good. And it, you just see the requirements just getting up and up and up and up and up and up and up. But there isn't any prioritization. There isn't any criteria that sits behind it saying, you know, what's the rationale? Why are we doing this stuff? How do we ensure that we've we've only prioritised things that we need to do? And MVP or minimum viable product, if you haven't come across it before, 
is such an important way to say, what can we live with on day one? What can come later in like a fast follow, continuous optimization program? But one area where it's hard to land is sometimes in brand name organizations where MVP is anathema to, to, to brand and creative people because they want to deliver the best UX. They want the brand to excel and to deliver something unique that sets them apart in the market. And if you try and talk about MVP, it just it's, the shutters come down. So sometimes the risk is about landing a point in the right language to align with the culture of the business, but getting them to understand that what you're trying to do is protect the brand and its presentation by enabling you to go live with an improved customer experience, but that you can't do everything at once. And I think that's such a critical thing to address early on, um, getting buy-in to phasing and being able to couch it in the right language so that people internally will buy into it and it's not a barrier later. Yeah, I think um, I think the key thing there is just getting everyone bought into it because I think these days when you go through a re-platforming project, there's so many shiny things. So I think a good example is the middleware platform. So that partner will want you to use all of their features. They will want you to, you know, improve where you are currently <clears throat> so that you become an advocate of the product. You know, if you change ESP and you move to Klaviyo, they'll want you to do different things. If you use Yopo or whoever else, yeah. they'll want you to use as much as possible out of the product. And I think that's often where those kind of distractions and deviations come in. Um, and there'll be certain stakeholders that, you know, really buy into that idea. Um, yeah, and then suddenly exactly that you're you're not working with mvp anymore at least you're, you're not kind of working towards that with anything else being a luxury yeah. um i i had a project recently where we were using the middleware provider and my goal was very much replicate exactly what we have right now um with the erp and the e-commerce platform and then suddenly there's a number of people that are trying to use this middleware platform to handle a number of other integrations you know enrich the integration um, between the erp and the e-com platform rebuild the integration of the 3pr and it's just completely unnecessary for the first phase of the project and i think um particularly when there's like a capex budget as well and people want to get the most out of it i think this is a really hard thing and i think this again comes down to the role of a PM and a project lead to really push everyone from the start and all the way through the, you know, a set expectations as well. It's a big change. We need to get it over the line and then we can benefit from it and start to, you know, improve all these different areas. But I think it's a really hard, I think it's a really important point and a really hard one to get right. Yeah, agreed. I think your point about budget is spot on because budget can actually help uh, constrain um, overzealous and overexcitement uh, by, you know, we've nailed down and agreed with with the 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 uh, like finance need that the budget is three hundred thousand pounds and we cannot go over it. We have gone through and defined everything. If we do everything, it's four hundred fifty thousand. We can't do everything. So I, I I often work with people on it's like a good, better, best, and then it's a it's like a pick and mix. And I I start with okay, compliance and accessibility got to have those. Um, like if you're not PCI compliant, well. A, a, you're open to, to malicious um, hacker, but also B, you are open to uh, a lot of potential um, fraud issues. Um, so that's critical. That can't be up for, up for debate. Then it's what, what does the business and the customers currently rely on that can't be lost? That's yeah. got to be in. What are the um, bugs and issues that are impacting the ability to sell and to service customers? They need to be fixed because we don't want to replicate errors. Now we've that's our kind of like starting point, and then it's what are the enhancements? 
And then it's almost like this pig mix is right. Well, let's work through those first ones. If we can't not have those, where are we up to? What what budget have we got left? And then within each of the enhancements, it helped get them to think good, better, best. So for wish list, can you live with a simple wish list to start off with, which doesn't have the ability to have like you know shared wish lists where people can shop from them and buy for an item from your wish list for you as a gift, you know, the full like Amazon wish list versus a, a functional econ one. And then where would phase two for wish list be? And then actually you can take maybe what is a three thousand pound cost on wish list and turn it into a one thousand pound launch cost with a two thousand pound continuous optimization program roadmap item. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it's just making sure you get the foundations right and then you can benefit long term from getting those right tools in place. Yeah. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. Right, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw um, the the ultimate uh, bone to you here for, for for leaping on, mate. Content readiness. Over to you. Yeah, I think this is the big one for me. I think um, it's usually the one that slows things down because it might not be that it slows the whole project down. It might be that it slows UAT down, for example, or you know certain aspects of the build. And I think content is so easily underestimated because changing platform can mean completely you know for example if you move from pretty standardized templates in magento but you're moving shopify and you need to rebuild everything in sections or you know you're if it's a headless build and you've got headless cms like i feel like uh, and often people underestimate migrating blog content um yeah and various other things size guides is often a big one like i think that content that that kind of audit for the content migration at the start is one of the most important phases because that's a really important line in that in the kind of gantt chart um that is really often either missed or underestimated and actually you know that can that can require months of manual effort to get it right um yeah and i I think it's yeah really key so as you've put here map the content types and need audit is really important so yeah and i think um content doesn't always mean content pages and uh blog posts as well like it can there can be a lot more to that and you know like i say size guides it might be things that are stored within the account it might be things that are purely admin related like yeah i think um that's a really really uh important thing to get right right at the start of the project yeah i I agree it's huge people underestimate it all the time and it's really hard to, to get people to understand you are through your design phase most likely going to change your templates which will have an impact on product imagery is a classic one isn't it and it's oh we've got to reformat them because we the auto crop on mobile is just screwed the position of the image and it doesn't look good or actually we we created an amazing template that has landscape with portrait ah oh, but on mobile we've now got the landscape one which is number one image looking tiny in the viewable pane because it's optimised to viewport. Uh, we didn't think that through. We've now got to rethink our image. Yeah, there's so many nuances to this, and a lot of it comes out of the design, but I agree, it's starting it as early as possible. So many people leave it to the end, don't they? And it's like, oh, shit, we've got to do all the images. It's like, no, start right. You can start it all before development starts. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, next one we've got um, is UAT testing. So basically what I like to call getting shit done um, to go live is, so the key thing I think is, People underestimate, again, like the content, user acceptance testing is it's not the developers doing their code testing. It's you going on to the front end um, and also checking back end processes. And this is where people come unstuck. They look at it and go, oh, I looked at the website and most people still have this nasty habit of checking on desktop, even if 70% of traffic's mobile. Desktop crime. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to check on desktop on the top browsers, on mobile devices, and check. So you've got to check everything on different devices. But you're not just checking the front end in terms of all the images look good, all the menus work. You're checking all the functional elements of it. So when I'm adding to basket, when I'm removing from basket, if I'm in a wish list and I'm adding to the basket, if I'm moving from basket to wish list, if I'm on a, a product list page and I'm adding a filter, I'm removing a filter, I'm adding multiple filters. Is the, is the user experience right? Am I seeing the right products? Is it doing the right things to the URLs? And then also you've got the the other stuff like actually if you've got SEO controls uh, based on on index no index is the SEO person checking that the right URLs are an index? Then you've got back end processes such as someone signed up for email. Great, it worked on the front end. The message looked good. Did the email request get through? Is the right email address? Has it got the right opt in flag? Have they received the right um, opt in confirmation email? With payments, you've got to trust every single payment option, des- shipping destination, got to check taxes. And you suddenly realize it's absolutely mind-bogglingly massive amount of tests. And if you, so the, the mitigation is this, is you've got to have someone who owns it internally to coordinate because it requires everyone. You've got to start creating test scripts way in advance when your AT begins. Work with your agency partner. Do they have standard test scripts? Most of them do. Piggyback that. That's your starting point. But be iterative. Don't don't leave UAT to the end and go and say, right, one month before launch, smash the site. Right the way through uh, development, when anything's released into the front end and you've got access to your stage environment, start your UAT straight away when this site, when it's in a meaningful, um, meaningful um, state. I always advise split into two halves UAT, project team UAT, business stakeholder UAT. Project team does the early iterations of staging where you know it's going to be a a pretty um, sparse and not very pretty site just to get core functional elements debriefed so that the, the, the coding's better. And then once the content is, is in and the site's looking more like it does uh, um, you know, a, a, a customer-facing site, then you get the business stakeholders to test their areas of it because if they see a site that looks ugly, you instantly get a demotivation element, which is really hard to recover. So I think those are, I guess, those are my key things plus um, having an internal briefing and being clear on what you want people to do and why and when and how much effort's required. Like we need half an hour a day from you over the next two weeks. Just be really concise about it. Um, where, where, where's your head at on the UAT testing and how you reduce that risk? Yeah, I think you've you've said most things. I think a, a lot of the the best test scripts will usually come as a result of like documentation being really strong up front. And I think a lot of mm. people build out at least the front end, or in fact, all of the kind of test scripts off the back of like having really detailed like acceptance criteria or just detail in a set of functional requirements or a kind of initial spec. I think that really helps. Yeah, the earlier, the better uh, setting that up, getting people bought into it. I think our average project, 
usually, particularly working with the SaaS platforms now, um, you'll start off, so you can migrate, you can start building the product catalog and everything else and configuring the third parties really early, um, but you'll be doing so on like a default blank theme. Um, so, and you can start to test certain elements then. I think getting the order and customer data in as early as possible and start to test that um, mid-project is good. Integrations pre-final UAT, really good. And then when the agency, typically the way that we work with uh, people, again, more recently, and this isn't necessarily the best way to work, um, but they'll then give us the theme and we'll have like, I don't know, a two, three week UAT period. And then you want to be free from all the other testing to focus on that kind of front end testing or like anything from like promotions to, yeah, everything else you mentioned. Um, yeah. And then I personally think that's, how a lot of projects work now but then equally we did do a project recently where everything was delivered in two weeks sprints and then um we were testing as we went but the only difficulty with that is quite often um you still need that two-week uat period at the end to test everything together um but yeah i mean i think the key thing is just trying to phase it like you say um get the back end and content stuff out as quickly as possible just so that you can test properly when it comes to that final uat phase and then Going back to content, the timing of content is key so that you can properly UAT. Same with configuration of third parties. Like quite often I see people testing things when the site's not ready to test, but it's more on the internal task. Um, and then they don't realize that actually there's issues with the search overlay or issues with certain templates or yeah, all of that stuff. But yeah, I think you've covered the majority, to be perfectly honest, obviously. Yeah, that, that's good builds on that, actually. The 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 critical thing is don't don't get people to test stuff when their part uh, of it isn't fit for purpose you've got to have an oversight that says okay we, we've like the payment side okay check out just very quick is it really are the payment methods working because if they're not you fix that at a code level before you go and do the uat otherwise it's your uat board is full of stuff you know is broken anyway so what have you learned um the other thing that's critical is having a test result log because there's nothing worse, unless you're a tiny business, in which case it's so easy for you to just do it via messaging. If you've got you know, six, seven, eight stakeholders dumping emails across, going, oh, I saw this, this doesn't work, or this wasn't expected, deciphering that and deduplicating it is an absolute headache. Having a log where people can dump stuff in and you've got a, all the test um, criteria listed out with ID numbers on them, so people will then log in the ID number of the test that, that's failed, and what the failure is and what browser, et cetera, they're on and having that so that you can quickly go through. And so actually, I've got four failed for, you know, 2.4. Are they the same or are they different? It's really, really helpful because one of the best things you can do to help a development partner is to take away the noise. They, When you're getting into the end point of testing and, and bug fixing ready for launch, what you don't need is a development um, team slow down because they've got to decipher all the junk that's chucked into test results. So filter that stuff out, make sure everything that goes in um, for triage is genuine issues that need fixing um, and use a process for, for the triage. So Trello boards are great. Um, I know people who use a similar process in things like ClickUp, where it is you know, new, and then it gets queued into P1, P2, P3. Then it's um, ready to get you know, in development, um, um, in sprint, um, you know, ready for UAT, recheck, passed or refail, goes back into the appropriate one. 
just have a process and a structure so that you don't end up with 100 emails trying to work out, oh, Christ, which one am I acting on next? Yeah, yeah. So I think one other thing you can do to get ahead of yourself in terms of reducing the number of bugs and issues being raised is set expectations with the agency early in terms of those device and browser combinations. I think mm. a lot of agencies still maybe definitely test internally on desktop chrome mobile safari etc and i think um getting those into the scope of work can be really beneficial um and just making sure that it's clear um yeah which ones are a priority excellent and the last one we're going to cover today and you know we're not saying we've exhaustively covered every single bit of risk but we're focusing on the most important project risk that you should de-risk is um, something you mentioned earlier, Paul, attitude and getting into a combative blaming mentality. Um, do you want to talk us through that one? Because I think this is really interesting too. Yeah, I just think that it's a really important thing. It's more the client side, to be perfectly honest. I think quite often, you know, minor things go wrong and, you know, a client will just start throwing the agency under the bus or, you know, having a go at the agency contact. And I think Ultimately, for a replatforming project, you need to keep everyone motivated, the agency included. And it's really important to think about things from their perspective. And, you know, they might be losing money on things or, you know, things might be taking longer than expected. There might be external variables. And I think it's just thinking beyond like, you know, we've signed off this scope of work. And it's more thinking, how do I get everyone working together all the way through the project to get the best results? I think demotivated agencies and developers will just result in further conflict and friction. And it can usually be avoided. Yeah, hundred percent. Nothing really to add on that, other than your your own personal happiness in a project. If you're constantly in a shouting match, it's a miserable experience because it doesn't get better. Screaming and shouting, at someone doesn't fix an issue. Like stress is is a key part of project. And stress, sorry, stress management is a key part of a project. And I, I've worked with I've worked with um, people in the past where one of the owners is just uh, in, the instant reaction is to scream and shout at people and blame. And all it does is to get people behind the doors going, I don't want to work with them. I'm not interested. I can't be bothered. And it also what it means is it, it, when something's genuinely serious, yeah, you just get desensitised to it because you think, ah, oh, it's another rant. I'm not listening. I'm not bothered. And then you miss um important things that really need to be acted on quickly so you've got to be very careful of this shouting to let off steam is fine but screaming at other people and blaming them constantly is negative as hell and i think it's like project teams changing on the agency side um is something that you ideally want to avoid as well like quite often uh the more you complain about the more likely that is to happen but like be it that the person doesn't want to work on the project or the agency wants to assign someone new um, but that results in further issues quite often. So I think it's just about thinking about how you escalate an issue. So yes. Like you say, just only really raising the high priority one. Yeah, I, I always I always advise, and it's a two-way street, but I always, my advice is always behave how you want to be behaved to backwards. What, what service do you expect? This is a partnership. This isn't just a I buy, you do. This is a strategic partnership because this is your e-commerce revenue. And often uh, it's your omni-channel revenue. So you get from a partnership what you put in. And if you start on a negative basis, it's very hard to recover that. So I 100% agree. Go in with a positive attitude. Don't accept crap and push back and be firm, but be firm in a polite and respectful way because you'll tend to find that, that people will walk a mile for you if you show them respect. 
Yeah, and I think the the thing is, large remember is like there's a significant cost to move an agency, like just like there's so much cost to it. But yeah, all the contentious issues, all the blaming yeah. from the agency, you know, the cost of onboarding, the time cost yeah. of not uh, doing the things that you should be doing for the next two yeah. months. Grass is always greener, right? It's it's that classic. Every, nobody is perfect. None of us. Like I'm yeah. not. I, I can't be perfect in every project I do, and there'll be things that I could do better. And you move from one partner to another, you'll find other things you don't like there that weren't in play in your previous one, and you're just you're you're shifting the problem. The problem is relationship management. Yeah. So don't shift the problem, address the problem. Yeah. Um. Fantastic. Well, let's stop there because we've we've rambled on quite well on on quite a few topics. Hopefully, this has been really useful for people. Um. We're sharing our experience. We've worked on tons of projects, so we're picking out the biggest risk. And hopefully that's some good practical advice on how you can address them and things to do. But thank you for listening. Keep an ear open for our next episode. We drop one every Tuesday. Uh, do let us know of any topics you love us to cover or, or really cool guests you think would be good on the podcast. Uh, and we'd love you to subscribe and rate us um, on Apple or Spotify. Uh, until next week, dear friends. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.